This episode of the ECWM podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Maritime Dog Training, offering obedience training of all levels, service dog and retriever training in person or online. East Coast Calls, high quality duck and goose calls built right here in the Maritimes. Ryan's Gun Blowing, make your grandfather's old 3030 look just like new again. Quad Bee Adventures, bear hunting, moose hunting, or fishing. Located in beautiful western New Brunswick. Big L decoys, high quality duck, goose, turkey, sandhill crane decoys, and accessories. L&M Trailers, offering trailer sales and rentals in Woodstock, New Brunswick. Kent Cartridge Canada, high quality, high performance shotgun shells from geese, ducks, turkey, upland, sporting clays, and more. Benelli Shotguns. Cutting edge, innovation in design, technology, and manufacturing. Dominate the skies. All right, boys, welcome to episode four on dogs. This week we got a special guest, Walt Vesey, and we got Ryan DeMerchant, and we got Matthew Wilson here. Morning, boys. Say something, Ryan. Morning. Oh, good morning. The people couldn't see you nod your head. <laughs> good mor- Good morning, Walter Vesey. <laughs> Greetings from ha- PEI. <laughs> PEI, where exactly is that? What does that stand for? Hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, cradled in the waves. It's a it's a it's a little island in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Oh wow! Really. Who's Prince Edward? The jewel of the Maritimes, really. The, the jewel, jewel of the Maritimes. Mar- the jewel of the Maritimes. Wow. For anybody that doesn't. Acre farm, they call it. Oh. You, you can actually get there for free. You just can't leave for free. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll welcome you in with open arms, but as soon as you want to cross that great big that's bridge a, they built. That's a pretty good immigration plan, really. You can come over for nothing, but yeah. you can't leave without paying. And their population still drops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Land, sea, or water, you will pay. Yeah. You will pay. <laughs> Prince Edward Island. I don't know who Prince Prince Edward is, but they should change it to King Walt Island. There you go. Walt, we we're, we're uh, we really appreciate you being on here with us today. I agree with that. That's my my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. So we're gonna do uh, quite a series on dogs throughout the summer, and we'll try to keep it um, so that it aligns with the time of year like right now we're going to do a lot of we're going to talk a lot about uh, basics and how you would start out with your dog because there's a lot of people that um are just getting out now the snow's going everybody's getting kind of excited to get their new dog or even if even if they've got an older dog to get their dog out and do some some training and you know most generally the the general population around here is looking for basic tips on what to do with their dog so um First of all, Walt, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you got your start in in dog training. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how long you've been at it. Uh, well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a retired copper. I live in York, PEI with my wife, Barb. I uh, grew up on a farm. My family uh, is a, a dairy farming family. And we've had this uh, farm in York since 1817. Wow. We're the orig- original settlers of the land. Yes, sir. That's and, uh, uh, that's just after Moses pirated the sea, isn't it? Pretty sure. That's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he made the island. That's after a that. long time. He, he, he parted the sea between 
Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and yeah. PEI. And we immigrated here. <laughs> Did you and, know uh, Moses well? <laughs> Still I'm original. old enough. Maybe I, maybe I went to school with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, growing up in rural PEI, uh, you know, fishing and hunting and that sort of stuff was just part of the lifestyle. When I grew up, uh, my dad was uh, a hunter and a fisher and my grandparents and great-grandparents, like it's just part of the the heritage and so i was introduced to it young and uh just kind of became interested in the outdoor sports uh as a teenager one of my uncles field trialed uh english springer spaniels i used to spend a lot of time with him and it kind of got me interested in in hunting dogs and training dogs i'd start uh i'd help him train his dogs and it kind of lit the fire you know and got me interested in that of course as soon as i started my interest in that i i wanted to get my own hunting dog but uh we had an old collie on the farm and mom and dad said we could only have one dog at a time so couldn't get my hunting dog till the collie passed on and uh, of course the collie lived to be about 25 so I, <laughs> as they do i never did <laughs> i never did get my uh, own hunting dog until i was an adult and uh barbara and i were married and we built our home in york and once we got set up here uh, um, back in the early 90s, then I got my first uh, own personal hunting dog and started my journey on learning how to train them. And the rest is history almost, you know. Over the years, it just got more involved, got more involved in the sport of training dogs and eventually ran hunt tests and field trials and such. And now it's just... Uh, damn addiction yeah absolutely what what was your first dog wall what breed uh, i was a labrador retriever right on barb uh, barb uh, saw an ad in the local newspaper purebred chocolate labrador retriever pups four hundred dollars yes sir <laughs> so she 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 went and she bought me one as a surprise gift wow and it came with, with ckc registration papers and everything that's awesome. exactly and, uh, what i got my first dog <laughs> chocolate lab 400 yeah. bucks yeah, <laughs> yeah, no joke. The Cooper princely sum papers. of four hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. and uh, anyway, that's that started the journey for me. Her her name was it was the for, first Yorkton dog. Yorkton's hot cocoa was her name. Yes, sir. So you had already York- kind of planned to to start a kennel at that time, or that was always going to be a registered well, name. Uh, well, you know, Yorkton is the name of my my dad's dairy farm. Oh, okay. Yorkton Farms. I did not know That's, that. That's uh, my grand my grandfather registered the farm name, you know, that Yorkton Farms name. I think it first was officially registered back in the 1940s or something. Wow. And uh, and it's been in the family ever since. And uh, so I'm very proud of the the heritage on our family farm. So when I started into dogs, I knew a kennel needed a name, so I adopted the farm name. Awesome. Yorkton Farm kind of became morphed into Yorkton Kennels for me. Yeah, that's very cool. So you talked a little bit about uh, getting into hunt tests and field trials, and over the years you've had some really good dogs and have some really good dogs now, um, and you've been really successful um, pretty much all throughout your career with Springers and, and when you got into the labs and hunt tests, and well, I guess they were field trials, but with the labs hunt tests and field trials but you also hunt a lot i mean just as much as as anybody else if not quite a bit more um 
Can you talk a little bit about what the value is for the average hunter for running hunt tests and field trials? Like, I know myself, I have a lot of people that'll say to me, well, I don't need my dog to run that far. I don't need my, you know, I just want a hunting dog. I don't need it to do all that, so to speak, fancy stuff. Um, What do you you feel like maybe are a few things that that you could say are, are valuable for just your average Joe to run hunt tests or field trials? Yeah, well, you know, field trials and hunt tests, you know, they they serve a bunch of purposes, Matt. I mean, of course, in training to be successful in them, you you, you train your dog to do the job well, you know, so that when you uh, go out hunting, they're a good conservation tool, you know. Absolutely. So you can recover all the all the birds, and it saves you a lot of work too, you know. If every duck that you shot that landed out across the other side of the river, if you had to get out and wade across the river or get out the canoe and canoe across it it's a uh, it's a lot of work it takes time while you're out screwing around doing that maybe you miss other hunting opportunities you know other birds come along and get flared off because you're out in the water in the canoe but if you I got agree. a dog you can just you can just send say go and the dog you know in the act of retrieving a bird out in the water it doesn't if more birds come along the dog doesn't scare them away and a lot of times it kind of decoys them in because the dog's head the d- birds see the movement and the decoys and they almost, sometimes i think they mistake it for a duck swimming in the decoys and they'll i've seen ducks decoy right in over the top of dogs that were retrieving out in the in the water and amongst the decoys it's unreal we've seen that in the field mm. a lot too With geese yeah yeah and, get- uh, and it does make a good point too but Pick how many times? I mean, it's literally probably been in the hundreds of times that the dog would go out and pick up a bird that we didn't know about. Yeah, and yep. I mean, and it saves us from running out there. And we all know we want to just be fat, happy hunters, right? Who wants to run out and chase birds? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a big time addition to the hunt to have them along. And, and yeah, there's there's always going to be that time when it's exactly like you say. You've got one that lands across the river or way out in the field, and you know your your dog can run out there and get that quick and uh we don't shoot over our dogs but you know if there's more birds coming and the dog is coming in through the decoys on their way to the blind like a lot of times those birds as soon as they see that and and a dog of any color but certainly a black dog uh man we've seen it tons of times they lock right up and damn near land right on top of the dog yeah we've seen them do like 90 swings too turn right around come back pretty impressive really uh, and you know when you uh hunt it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be pleasurable and uh when you watch a dog work it just adds another dimension of pleasure to to the enjoyment of the experience of hunting you know yeah you oh, know I working agree. the bird working the birds and calling them and getting them coming in and shoot shooting them you know that's part of it but when you add nice retrieves and good dog work on top of that well it's just like the icing on the cake oh yeah it's my favorite part i love i mean me too if i had to choose to bring my gun or my dog it would be my dog yeah if i had to choose absolutely and i mean like since we've really started guiding hard i mean even when i guided in ontario like I, i was allowed to shoot there but i never like i rarely did um i just really enjoy that part of it right and you do if if you put the time and effort in and uh you know but if your dog's a burden to the hunt then nobody when you show up is excited to see it and nobody wants you to be out there hooping and hollering at it and you know it's more of a burden than 
then an addition, which is completely the opposite of divine design and what they were here for. When you're sitting around after the hunt or even like years later, you're having a drink with your friends and you reminisce about hunts and stuff. Like one of the things that my buddies and I keep bringing up is, do you remember that big retrieve that old Rex made all the way across the river? My God, that was something else. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's making memories, you know. Big, it's just add another dimension of pleasure to the sport. Big time. And I know certainly when I was guiding out west, uh, you know, if you had people in that had never been around a good dog or maybe weren't even dog people, like they might not have paid too much attention to the dog. But if you're somebody that, uh, you know, makes makes the dog do the job, right, and takes the time to work the dog and things like that, people, People soon take notice, and uh, if you've got a really good working dog, it's not very long before once the shooting's done, they're sitting there watching the dog, paying close attention and talking about it at supper that night. Or, you know, absolutely, those are the things that that you remember. It's not just you go out and shoot a bunch of birds and then hopefully the dog picks them up. Like that's really when the show starts. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you've got a good dog, sometimes it'll get you invites on hunts because people know you've got a good dog and they want to they want experience watching it hunt and, and uh, do its thing, because, you know, because of that, what it adds to the hunt. But then, like you said earlier, Matt, on the flip side of the coin, if you've got an unruly dog that every time the birds try to decoy, it jumps up and barks or runs out into the decoys and screws things up, well, nothing will get you crossed off a friend's list quicker either, you know. Yep. So it's one of the reasons to put in the time to train a dog well so it's an asset on the hunt instead of a pain in the ass. Definitely. And I, th- I think, you know, when you, when you get into hunt tests and field trials, like it gives you kind of a goal to shoot towards. You know, you know if you've got yourself registered for a hunt test at the end of May you're not going to start training the week before. Like, it, it, it gives you a goal to shoot towards. And then when you go there, you know, your dog has a certain uh, set of standards and hunt tests that it has to, to achieve. Um, and you also meet a lot of people, too. A lot of people that can help you out along along your way. You might even end up... How did you and Walt meet? <laughs> All right. Tinder. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Big surprise there. Swipe right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Matt, you're absolutely right. Like you were saying earlier, you know, tell us about what, what what's the benefits of hunt tests. And the social aspect is, you know, is one of the things that's almost as important as the ending up with a well-trained dog, you know. Definitely, you yeah. Get, you get to meet a lot of like-minded people, lifelong friends like yourself and, and uh, many others like, 90% of my social circle is people that I met through training dogs and running hunt tests, et cetera, you know. And your very and, best uh, friends are, are going to be that way. We've said that about waterfowl hunting over the years. Just, you know, your, your very best friends, you're going to have your strongest passion. Uh, or as we say in PEI, your kindred spirits. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that... You know, we've been on a, a lot of trips since we've been running dogs together, Walt. Shit, we've been everywheres, <laughs> down through yeah. down through New England to, to train with Jim, and and down to Alabama. You you've done a lot more traveling that way than me, but man, 
you said to me there not too long ago, you could probably go clear across this country and train with somebody that you've met or, or could certainly call a friend over the years. Yeah, I think if I was driving across country and my truck broke down, that I could go to my list of dog training friends and find somebody that's near enough to help me out if I was in a pinch, you yeah. know. It's those friendships that you make over the years in, in the sport that they're, I don't know, they seem to be real true blue fr- friends, you know. They're like-minded people yeah. and, uh, dog and people. just good salt-of-the-earth people. Dog people typically seem to be pretty good people. It's the same thing in the DD circle there. I've got friends all across North America that just common interest is dogs and specifically DDs. And made some good friendships out of it. And they all seem to be yeah. pretty good people. Yeah, absolutely. Inter- interesting people in the dog wor- world too. You know, there's yeah. a lot of in- interesting characters, we'll call them. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So for, you know, normally when I get those questions from people, about, oh, well, geez, I don't need my dog to run that far. Or I, I don't see the value in, in like a, even a field trial. You know, t- the training is all the same. It It's really just on how far you want to take it. You know, do you want to get your dog to a super advanced field trial level and, and be able to compete at a, at a national level and national stakes well then yeah you do have to train hard and your dog has to be able to do uh, really technical retrieves but you know I don't see uh, any way shape or form how that could how that could be a burden on your hunt really you know that that's only going to be an addition and um, as far as running long because I do get that question a fair amount like we always want our dogs to run long we we want our dogs to think the end of the field like we don't want them to ever hit a wall at 100 yards like if it's if the bird sails out 400 yards we want them to be completely able to and willing to go that far so yeah, yeah. you see that a lot dogs will go about as far as the owner can throw a bumper yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like they hit a wall yeah like, out, out past here is no man's land yeah Hard to yeah. say what's past those decoys. You know? I've never found a thing beyond this line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, for anybody that's interested in that stuff, you know, if, if you think you might be or you're wondering about it, just, just you know, look on the, if you're in Canada, look on the CKC website or there's, you know, there's there's lots of lots of events kicking back into gear now. You know, just go watch one. Ask some questions. People are pretty good around there. How is the hunt test and field trial world looking for this summer like because of covid and all that crap well i you know i think regionally as long as they open the bubble we'll be okay here but i i highly doubt that we'll see the national this year Mm. of any sort i don't know what do you think wall i think you're right you know once we the atlantic bubble reopens if it does i think it will then we'll be okay regionally for for our hunt tests and we're lucky we've got a lot of active clubs in the Maritimes, so I, I expect we'll have a pretty full calendar of events over the summer. Yeah. But, you know, we won't be driving up to Quebec or Ontario to compete yeah. this year, yeah, and this they year. won't be coming down here, that, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think so either. When I look in my crystal ball, I just don't see that happening, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we're, stuck, we're going to be stuck in our bubble again, yeah. I think, but that's okay. It's a, it's a nice bubble. Yeah. It's a good place to be. It is a good place to be, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, now, Ma- 
Oh, sorry, Matt. Just want to before we get move on to another topic. Um, you're talking a little bit about hunt tests and the benefit of them for your average hunter. Yeah. And one one thing we never really talked about is that uh, hunt tests and field trials should really be kind of the proving grounds for the uh, the bre- breeding dogs. You know. Yeah. Uh, when a when a hunter is looking to buy a dog for hunting. You know, yep. it's, it's tough. It, let's, let's face it. It's tough to find a good dog and to, and to train it right and, and end up with the bragging rights gun dog. So you want to put all the uh, odds in your favor as much as you can. Right. Absolutely. So the hunt tests and field trials is kind of the proving grounds where dogs can demonstrate that they have what it takes to do the job. Well, you know, yeah. and somebody that's looking to buy a puppy I think if they want to put the odds in their favor, should look towards dogs that come from that proven background. You know, they've proven this dog has, you know, a strong retrieve desire. It's got, you know, it's highly trainable. Uh, you know, it's got what it takes. It's a good marker. It's not afraid of noises. It's good swimmer. Like all the elements that you want to see in a dog naturally, so that when you pair that with good training you end up with a bragging rights gun dog you know so if you look in the right place for your your puppies from from proven performers then it'll make your job as a trainer easier you know you you can't make a silk purse from a sow's ear so if you want to make a silk (laughs) purse start with start with silk you know and if you so if you want to uh have a bragging rights gun dog start with a puppy that comes from bragging rights gun dog parents you know that's a good point because i'm kind of in the market for a puppy right now too i was going to ask you like what do you look for uh when you buy a puppy i guess what the pedigree and i suppose the backgrounds of the parents and all that stuff right what questions should somebody looking for a puppy be be asking and what should they be looking for do you think and what are some what are some red flags (laughs) well you want to look for a puppy that comes from a family of proven dogs you know not just one parent or a great-grandparent was a field champion you know you want to see both parents all four grandparents and all the way back as 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 much as you can see through the whole family tree so it shows that like every now and then you can get a dog that's a fluke that comes out of nowhere that has no background that can because it's for whatever reason it's it's successful otter but it doesn't necessarily pass those traits along to its offspring. But if you buy a puppy from a family of dogs where all the ancestry is su- successful and shows that they have the natural instincts and the trainability and such, then the odds are much improved in your favor. You know, it's just like mathematics. You know, you put them, put the odds in your favor. So you want to look for a, a, a good sound pedigree that has what, what we breeders call pedigree depth means all the ancestors are successful and proven dogs, you know, and then along with performance goes health with health. You want to make sure that you buy into a healthy family. So you look for things like the, the hips and elbows and eyes are certified and other things that are genetic, um, uh, 
genetic uh, situations that you want to make sure that the dog is healthy. Like in Labrador Retrievers, for example, CNM and EIC are issues that we do genetic tests for. So you want to make sure that the breeder does all the tests to assure you that, you know, as much as has been done as is reasonably possible to make sure that you get a healthy puppy. And there's nothing worse than training a dog for a year or two and having a real nice dog. And then all of a sudden, you know, the hips go on it or it goes blind or it starts having seizures or something, you know, it's a real heartbreaker. So you want to make sure that as much as possible that, that the breeder is taking the steps uh, to be responsible and, and assure that he's producing healthy puppies. Okay. That's good advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's re- that's really uh, really important, and and most responsible breeders will offer a a, a written health guarantee with the, with their puppies, and uh, are happy to show you that the cer- health certification certificates from the parents, you know, and you can go online and find the health certifications too on the uh, OFA website. Okay. There's a lot to it, that's for sure. It's a little overwhelming when you start into it and you really don't know a whole lot about it. There's a lot of research to there's be done. There's a lot of research there's to be done. A lot of research, yeah. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of breeders out there now, or, or people breeding well, dogs. Well, people saying say. they're breeders, <clears throat> yeah, right? people that's, breeding dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with a lot of fake information yeah. as well. To, that are looking to just sell you yeah. a dog for yeah. a little bit less than the guy down the road who's doing, doing it legitimately, yeah. you know? So, yeah, no, those are certainly all good things and and you made a good point there walt that that i wanted to reel back on is the fact that you want to stack the cards in your favor because just because it's a lab or retriever of any sort uh doesn't mean that it's going to want to retrieve no you know the way they've had show dogs bred and they've been changed and I mean, good grief, you could get a purebred Labrador retriever that's no more a retriever than a friggin' chihuahua, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I've, I've obviously, in my career, I've, I've run into that, you know, yeah. really nice-looking dogs that just really don't have... <laughs> Looks like a lab, just doesn't act like Yeah, <laughs> just does not, yeah, certainly doesn't want to go out and get stuff too, too, too often, you know, they really have to be kind of carried along, and, and uh, there, you know, there's, there's never any 100% guarantee but you can as with anything in life but you you want to be able to stack the cards like everybody's healthy like all the way back to the great great grandparents the dogs were successful so you know if you had to stack the cards on your side for a dog that wants to go out and fetch birds for you you know make sure you do that yeah uh male female if you want to if you You know what? I, I th- I've had lots of both over the years, and I think one makes as good a hunting dog as the other. And it depends a little bit on your conditions that you hunt in. If if you want a big dog or a small dog, you know, if you're hunting out of canoes and stuff, you might want a smaller female. Or if you're in real tough going and deep mud and tough conditions, you might want a bigger, stronger male. But, uh, you know, I find as far as skills and desire and that sort of stuff, it doesn't matter. One's as good as the other. Mm. Okay. They just have. I find a, there's a bit of a different character between males and females. Yeah, big time, yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest difference I've noticed. They both have strong drive to retrieve or hunt or whatever if it's bred in them. But it's the character I find males to be 
more on the goofy side and act like titheads. <laughs> yeah, they, like yeah. like Tank there. Holy smokes, he's full of energy. Like I, that's, that's a, a lot that of the breeding was, that's too. That's a lot for me. <laughs> but that does, that's not so much him being a male. That's more of his breeding lines and where he came from. Yeah. But as far as drive, yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, Sadie was like that. He's, she was insane. But his his mother was the same. You know, like it's not the sex. It's the it's just the family of dogs yeah. that he comes from. His okay. high rollers, but uh, but yeah, the the females, you know, are affectionate and that but a lot of males are too i think yeah. that there's more difference just between the individual dogs than there is between the mm. sexes i don't yeah. think you can really ge- generalize based on the sex yeah. yeah that's that's a really good point actually yes. i mean we've got four dogs at the house and they're all completely different two males two females yeah, they're all unique the only thing that i would notice is like i said the males are just a bit of a, more of a goofball at times yeah yeah a few different mannerisms there you're not going to get up and walk out of the room and go to another room without both those males right on your heels yeah you know so Walt, what do you have for dogs right now well i got four and a half dogs right now yep (laughs) i have uh (laughs) tank the one i share with matt is the 0.5 he's the half and then i have four four dogs here at my place Uh, i got the three females venus T and Georgie, and then a, a young male named Trooper, and then of course Matt and I have Tank on the halves. Yeah, while while you're telling us about it, tell us about your kennel. Well, uh, my wife Barb and I started with the into the labs back in uh, 1993 with buying that first dog Coco, and um, you know I from growing up in the dairy farm where my dad was quite into uh, selective breeding his, his cattle, uh, his, his registered Holstein cattle, it just had me interested in genetics and breeding programs. So when we got the first lab and I started, um, you know, running hunt tests and training with the local retriever club, it just kind of was a natural progression for me to get an d- interest in breeding and, uh, we just started small, and we're still small, to be truthful. We only we only have four dogs, or 4.5 dogs. So we're a small operation, but we do have, uh, you know, one or two litters a year. And um, we're very proud of their dogs. We put a lot of work into finding good bloodlines and to uh, proving the dogs and getting the proper health certifications on them all. And our goal is to produce, uh, you know, a field and family dog that anybody would be would be proud to own that would be a good family dog and and also be a bragging rights gun dog and competition dog if people want to go that far right on and yorkton kennels is the name of walt's kennel over in york pei yeah. so uh, from, from york pei and and our ultimate goal is, is world domination yeah <laughs> so another another year or another so year here. and you'll probably have it accomplished yeah, yeah. <laughs> Se- secretly but now not so secretly world domination so so did i see on the page the other day you have one female pregnant now right yeah that's right uh, georgie is expecting and she should have pups on her about april 25th and um yeah we're excited about that barb and i are going to keep a female pup out of that litter Awesome. They add to our breeding program, and hopefully, and um, fingers crossed that she has a female and uh, that everything works out well. 
and Georgie is a, to... Georgie is a master hunter as well, is she? Yeah, Georgie's a master hunter, working certificate excellent, and qualified all age field trial dog. And she's a daughter of her Venus dog, who's a grandmaster hunter, WCX, and the qualified all age field trial dog. So, uh, you know, she's Georgie's second generation, and the pup, the pup uh, that we keep from Georgie will be a third generation Yorkton dog. And that's that's quite something, really. And and it's hard, I find nowadays to find a, a breeding program where they have master hunter, even grandmaster hunter and, and qualified all age field trial titles on the females. Like it's, you know, there's lots of places where it's an, it's nas- half like the male. Yeah. Or, it's a national, know. national field trial champion male with, you know, just a brood bitch or, or, you know, she might have a junior hunter or something like that. But really those are, those are stacked cards. You know, those are, that just goes to show you, you know, they don't hand those out for free. Those dogs are proven for sure. So it's really, really nice to see uh, that you're putting them through the paces. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's just, honestly, it's, it's hard to find. I think it's, it's becoming a, a really rare thing to find a kennel that's, you know, running their females and getting all those titles on them. I mean, it is harder with a female um, because of their heat cycle sometimes. It, can hold you back a little bit but uh yeah that's that's awesome happy for you well you know when when you walk the walk people know that it's just not talk you know that you've done there you, you've you've demonstrated that your dogs are the real deal yeah you know and then when people that are serious about wanting to have a good gun dog bragging right gun stuff gun dogs go out searching for a puppy then you can say, okay, these pups are the real deal, yeah, and exactly. they can buy. You can buy in with the with confidence, and it proves that your your program works too, right? Yeah, your success is yeah. is doing the advertising for you. You know, you don't have to go around bragging like you just look and see. So, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, are they all so, are are they all bought up already? Yeah, Spoken yeah. Board. George, the pups from Georgie's litter are all pre-sold. We have about a year waiting list. To, to get a puppy from us right. and um you know we're just a small operation who only does one or maybe max two litters a year so uh you know our supply is small so it allows us the luxury of being very selective about who gets our puppies and trying to put them in the hands of people that will give them good homes and love them and can properly care for them and hopefully work them yeah exactly because I, I suppose i mean you know they the people don't have to hunt but you know it's nice if they if they do or want to run hunt tests or field trials so you can see them go along yeah and these dogs are kind of on the higher energy end of the spectrum and i always make sure that uh people that buy pups from us understand that and that those higher energy working dogs you know from that those type of bloodlines are happiest when they have a job you know yep yeah that's really Uh, important if 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 they don't have a job or something to keep their mind and body occupied, then they could just be a pain in the ass around the house. That's when the dog will get into trouble, you know, yep, chewing yeah. your shoes and doing being destructive and stuff. But if they've got a, a job and something to keep them mentally and physically stimulated and worked, then, then they're happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really, really important factor when buying a dog. A lot of people ask me, I got Jace as a drat hire, DD or whatever. 
and a lot of people ask me about it and they, oh, they like them and that. And then I've honestly advised more people against getting one than I have to get one. Because if you're not willing to put the time in on that dog, you are going to have an absolute nightmare on your hands. And I mean, it'd be the same. Yeah. As, I think that's for any dog, right? If you haven't got the time well, to put some in Well, some dogs are pretty lazy. Yeah. I mean, I my, know, my lab, he was, I mean, he wasn't a, he was a, he was a hunting dog, but he wasn't like yeah. bred for it. He didn't he, need to run every day. No, no, he could sleep on the couch all day or he could run all day, whichever, yeah. didn't matter. No, Jace, no question. He's got to run every day. If he misses one day. The next day he's into shit and just and it's a pain in the ass if you're not willing to dedicate the time. It'd be like Tank. Yeah. Imagine if you didn't work with him. You just oh, had yeah. him as a house pet and nope. wanted to hunt on weekends right. from October to December. Right. It'd be, you, you'd end up giving him away. Yeah, he's a lot of dog for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair to him and his energy level, he, he does need a job yeah. and he does need to, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't need to be uh, physically exhausting. No, you know, in the winter time, it's safer, and most times it's safer if it's mentally more exhausting yeah, to the than anything. Stimulation. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a high flying, high drive yeah. dog, and and he does need a lot of exercise, and and that's just being fair it to is, him, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't get upset with him if he's wild around the house if i've been busy working yep. all day. If I haven't gotten him out, then I understand. Yeah. Like he he needs to get out and go for a run. I you know. And you see it all the time, these people buy these dogs, like, oh, geez, that's a pretty dog. Right. They buy a GSP or a Vizsla or something. Oh, yeah. English point, or all an English setter or whatever, and they end up rehoming it because they oh, he's can't too much. handle it. He's yeah. always way too much dog. He's yeah. not, and they think it's a bad dog. Just like, no, it's not a bad dog. You're just a dumbass owner that bought a dog for the looks without considering what it needs. Right. Like, it's, it's a life commitment. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Yeah, but again, when, you know, at, at this point in my training career, like, this is exact, like, he, this dog right here has pushed me to become a, a far better yeah. handler in every, in every way. And he's on the very top of the scale for yeah. energy as well. Oh, yeah. Like, he's, <laughs> yeah. he requires constant. Oh, you're not constant. switched off with him. No, no. If yeah. you're not, if you are, if you're asleep at the wheel, he'll quickly show you. He'll start to slow down at about ten years old, yeah, maybe when he blows up. Yeah. Well, we always said that about Sadie, but I mean, she was similar. She was just nuts. Yeah. And she never really slowed down much. Yeah. Even when she was ten or whatever, man. Yeah, she ever go? <laughs> but crazy. With, with with any dog, uh, you know, we're we're talking about high energy, but with with any dog, they. You know, you need to put the time and yeah. effort into them. To be fair to them, they need yeah. to be they need to be worked, and it's more mental stimulation that they need. You know, yeah, they need to be given a crossword puzzle every morning or something. Yeah. You know, yeah, they need to be they need to be mentally stimulated. Yeah, for so. sure, it's huge. Yeah. So, uh, getting into maybe some basics, we've talked, we've kind of touched on, you know, your your background, Walt, and obviously you've you've been very successful with all this stuff. Um, but we're, we're trying to start this off with just the very basics of how somebody would get started. Cause there is a lot of beginners out there. There's more dogs now since COVID than there's oh, yeah. ever been mm. like so many. And there's a lot of new people getting started. So do you have a few tips that you would give to somebody just getting going? Like what are, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to put a number on it, like top three or anything, but what would your advice be for somebody just getting started? training like how to get started with a dog or things to consider 
Yeah, well, the first first thing is start with a good good dog that's trainable, and then do a good job of bonding and socializing the dog, bonding with the dog and socializing it when it's young, right? You can you don't want to miss the boat when you get the pup seven weeks of age or eight weeks of age, whatever age it is when the breeder gives it to you. Start the training right then and and the bond building because having a good trusting loving relationship with the dog that bond it's kind of the cornerstone that everything builds off you know you want the dog to know that you're fair and that you're loving and you want to expose the dog to situations where it can grow as an individual you know you want to take it into the town and walk it around people and traffic and get it used to noise and different situations and just learn to be confident in new environments you know and uh you know introduce it to water correctly and and uh, birds correctly and retrieving and all these things just start building a proper uh, base by good socialization you know the old timers 50 years ago used to say oh a dog's not ready to start training until it's six months old but right. so they wouldn't do anything with it till it was six months old well you've kind of missed the boat almost because if you don't do the right things between eight weeks and six months then you're really behind the the eight ball you know and if you if you leave it till six months to start you've missed the uh, all that that really important foundation stuff it's kind of, those first six months are kind of like the first five years of a human child's life you know it's where they develop all their value systems and their you know their thought processes and the ability to interact with other people and they learn you know learn the language and how to communicate and all these things right so if if you don't start them right then everything else you try to do with them after is tougher you know so a good start is uh and socialization is is key you know and then you just start after you get to that done and you just build off of that you build a foundation and it's like building a pyramid your your basics is the bottom of the pyramid you build a good wide base and the wider your base is and the sounder it is then the higher you can build that pyramid you know can't stress basics and fundamentals enough. You know, a dog has to be learned its manners and to be obedient, to come when it's called, and to sit and stay and to walk at heel and all those things that don't even really involve retrieving, but they're the foundation for control later on, you know? I agree. And like you said, it's the cornerstone of what that the final product of your dog is going to be down the road. Yeah, exactly. Like it but in that, in that puppy socialization phase of course you also introduce them to retrieving and in a fun game-like way you introduce them to retrieving duck wings and may, maybe p even p pigeons when they're you know three months old or something like that you get them swimming if you take them to the beach and wade out to your knees in the water and they just follow you but it's all like play games at that yeah. age but you're just exposing them to the, the giving them the start of the tools that they're going to need to call on to be trained into a a proper gun dog later on you know showing you them the build, world build from there yeah. exactly yeah and environmental that's another, enrichment yeah and that's another thing too you don't want to be too high on the other end like just taking a really young pup and just way overdoing it there's a 
there's kind of a fine line from not doing enough training to doing right too much going overboard trying to get way too much to yeah you don't impress somebody keep or it fu- keep it fun and and game like when they're young the last thing you want to do is crush their spirits yeah. or turn them into a, a robot yeah. you just want to expose them to the different things that are they're, they're going to need to learn to to deal with in life you know yeah. as a working gun dog and have positive associations with them you know like when you introduce them to to water it needs to be done in a fun way that the dog will think that water's fun same with birds same with gunshots same with all that stuff you it but you do it in a play fun play way when they're young and then they they learn that all those things signal fun for them and then later on when they're when they're ready you can introduce the you know more control and get into a formal you know structured training program i get so passionate about talking about training dogs and about working with puppies i get so excited that i sometimes just can't help myself yeah oh yeah (laughs) it is man it's it's certainly exciting getting to work with young dogs a lot and seeing them progress like that's one of the things that i absolutely love about um what i do is that you get you know a bunch of different dogs from from different backgrounds and some of them certainly have stronger desire to do the job than others um but man every one of them is so different and then you know like you have a breeding program and and you know you constantly want to have the next dog up and coming and, and be adding to that um so you're not going five or six years at a time training before you train a new dog and you've always kind of got a new prospect on the go whereas a lot of people like you know they might go get one dog and when it gets 10 years old they'll get another one and then they start the process over again but i really love the young dog work as well it's so exciting in that basics through transition stage because they're learning so much different stuff each and every day um so on the point of basics what do you guys follow for programs like what what's your reference material that you use when you started or even use now i like uh lardy for for the program i kind of have my own obedience program now but yet but uh what's what's her last name well uh jackie the video there jackie mertens jackie mertens yeah she has a she has a really good video what's the name of it well sound beginnings sound beginnings sound because and you know i was talking about the puppy socialization and the eight weeks to six months that jackie mertens video or dvd sound beginnings it covers that critical time period and it is an awesome awesome resource and i would encourage anybody that's starting a new a new retriever puppy gun dog to get that video and and uh and watch it because it it does an excellent job of of uh guiding you through that critical phase and it it works Ar- well with arguably the, the yeah it dovetails into the lardy uh program that uh that i follow and that matt follows and a lot of people follow that uh that that tree retriever program yeah i used evan graham on the retriever end for me myself his program yeah he's another that's another excellent program those yeah. are the your two big ones right yeah. there evan graham and and mike clarity that that yeah. would you know cover almost 90 percent of what people follow is one of those two programs yeah. and to be fair i don't 
certainly don't train to the level you guys do. Not on the not on the retriever end. I I really like uh, Duck Dog Basics too. I really like mm-hmm. Chris Aiken. Like he's yeah. a, he's a really good trainer, and he he's actually got some pretty good stuff online too. Good, some really good videos. Yeah, and they're they're fairly inexpensive. Uh, Duck Dog Basics one, two, and three are are all good videos. Yeah. Uh, but you have to follow a program, and I think, like speaking about basics, um, Walt, you touched on all that really good, making obedience a way of life and socializing your dog to the environment and things. Uh, you have to. There's no excuse nowadays because there's so much literature out there. You just pick a program and follow it. Just stick to it. When the guy says do this and then the next thing you're going to do is this, just do it. Follow it. Yeah. Don't look at it and say, oh, well, I don't know if I need to do that. Just everything builds yeah. off the last thing. So pick a program, stick to it. Like the Lardy program and the Evan, Pro- Evan Graham programs are, are bigger programs. And uh, they could you know they'll take you right up to a, a level where you could run your dog in a national right yeah like they, it'll take you right up to the top all the, as far as you want to go and you don't have to take it that far but the information is there should you decide and they are really 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 good proven solid programs so yeah yeah i mean it they're just so proven, like you say, Matt, and they're full set of comprehensive, very logically e- easy to follow instructions. That if you follow it religiously, uh, sequentially, you all, you have to try hard to fail. Almost, you know, you really yes. do. It's just it's just a solid program. Now, last winter, I trained down dogs down in Alabama with a pro named Lauren Langevin, and Lauren is a been training dogs as long as any of us has been alive. He's like one of the top pros in the country's won three nationals. And he's so knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable. But on yeah. his on his living room coffee table are all the Mike Lardy manuals. Mm. And every night after we had trained all day, and then once our dinner was over, he'd sit down with, with a drink in the living room. And instead of watching TV, he'd pick up a Mike Lardy manual and read it. Yeah. This is a guy that's been training dogs for 50 years and won three nationals, and it's still his go-to resource. Yeah. So on that note, for as many years as you've been into this, what is the best advice? If you were to give a, what's the best single piece of advice you've ever been given, or what would you say? What is the a good piece of advice? Yeah, like one, is, one of the best. For one sure. of the best you've heard in your long 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 career with gun dogs <laughs> <laughs> just, just that there's no substitute for sound fundamentals you know that mm. uh you got to start with obedience and build off that cornerstone you know like the, we talked about earlier there's nothing worse than having a unruly dog in the in the duck blind you got a dog that's not steady or a dog that howls when you blow the goose call and all that sort of stuff. There's nothing worse, you know. Um, you need the solid uh, fundamentals and then just build off of that and mm. follow a sequential training, proven training program. And, and also the, uh, find somebody who is an experienced, successful trainer and tap into them as a resource. Yeah. And uh, and get some hands, good hands-on learning from an experienced coach. Solid advice. 
Well, boys, I think this has been a good start to what's going to be a several-part series of uh, yes, a great dogs. In, a great intro to it. Yeah. I've, I've been just sitting here amazed, just yeah, listening, we're, learning. We're <laughs> creeping up on an hour here, so what do you think, boys, for part one of many? Yeah, absolutely. I like it. Yeah, we, yeah. Maybe in the next one we can break off from where we you left guys off. Still and there? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. We can break off from where we've left off here and continue on to keep moving up the ladder from basics to intermediate to even advanced yeah absolutely you guys I, still there can you hear us Walt? Oh. i uh, i can you i was ta- given an answer to wesley's last question there and then halfway through it uh, everything went dead and fuzzy i don't know if you got my answer or not yeah yeah we heard oh her. we heard you yeah, yeah we got it i might have had my hand on that phone yeah, we got Matt's, plugged into. Matt's dicking with his phone. <laughs> I, I I was looking for. I found a quote last night that kind of goes along with uh, what you were just saying, Walt. Actually, and kind of validates your response to that last question. Just to end on, and this is, you know, I don't know who said this, but because there's Google. Yeah, Google the internet it says a novice handler wants to work on intermediate training. An intermediate handler wants to work on advanced training. But an advanced handler wants to work on the basics. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's uh, true. I, I think that that's kind of a good note to leave it on. You gotta walk. Don't, you gotta walk before you run. Yep. Don't forget about the basics. We're mm. we're constantly fostering those fundamental foundational skills. Yeah. So. Yeah, and just find a good program, that proven program, and follow us. Yeah, yeah, stick to it. You know, stick to it. And if you have an experienced coach in your area, so an experienced trainer, yeah, that you can tap into their knowledge, all the better. You know. Yeah, because yeah, you'll need one. I mean, you'll run into problems, and that's 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 where we should be seeking out advice. Um, but yeah, it's a good community with a lot of people willing to help. Absolutely, definitely tap into it. So yeah, for sure, well, boys, yeah, for sure, this has been a good they talk. Say, I got one little humorous thing that I want to say to you before we finish off. I had a dog training book out the other day, and there was it's an old dog training book from decades ago. There's a funny quote in it. It says, the best way to learn to train a gun dog is to let a dog that's smarter than you are train you. <laughs> yeah, true that. <laughs> well, that wouldn't take much of a dog to be smarter than me. <laughs> or the three of us sitting here, the for sure. Combined. Yeah. Oh, combined. And, and, and better looking. Yeah. <laughs> smarter and better looking. Yeah. Well, right on, Walt. Stay on the line. We're just going to shut down the recording here, and we'll uh, we'll t- we'll discuss the next recording, part two, coming All up. All right. So.